Hey, good morning, Christ Church. I just want you to know God loves you special. You came out in the freezing cold. Online people, God loves you too, all right? Just in person a little bit more. No, just kidding. Just kidding, kind of. Hey, but today is a super special day. We have our lead pastor, Doc, here preaching with us. And uh, we got Doc his own Christchurch West Campus shirt. Yeah. So if he wants to make West Campus his favorite, we won't tell. It'll, it'll be a secret. But, Doc, we're so thankful Thank for your leadership, for your faithfulness, you. and honored to have you here today. Would you give him a round of applause? Thank you. I love you, buddy. I've known Chad since he was a teenager. <laughs> Ushers, get her out of here. Uh, and I want you to know this. He's always had a heart for God. Uh, when, he, when, when he was a teenage boy, he had a heart for God. And God has only uh, enriched that and grown it. And... Uh, I hope you don't take him for granted. He is a good man. This, this church is blessed to have him as the pastor. Um, and if you don't think so, I'll take him back. Uh, well, all right, I want to hear a good word for the man. Uh, tell him you appreciate him once in a while. It, it, it's a blessing for the pastor to hear that you appreciate him. Uh, he gets enough nasty emails. You don't have to send him any of those. You, but let him know you appreciate him from time to time. Could you do that? Our dear Heavenly Father, you are the God of providence. You sustain your creation. You direct history. You govern in heaven and in earth. And I pray that you would convince us today that because you are the God of providence, you are uh, capable of working in us and through us to accomplish your eternal plan. And I pray that we would trust you wholly and follow you completely. In Christ's name, amen. Joseph was a golden child. He was just one of those kids that uh, was special. He had 11 brothers and one sister. I really pity her, don't you? Uh, but he was his dad Jacob's favorite. And his dad didn't mind letting all the other kids know that Joseph was his favorite. In fact, his dad made him a special coat. And it was a coat that was designed to, to distinguish him from all his brothers. And Joseph wore that coat pretty haughtily. Uh, 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 it suited him that he was his father's favorite. Uh, for some reason, Jacob got it in his head that he was hoss enough to have four wives. Brothers, it takes every bit of energy I have and money I have to, to please one wife. Uh, uh, let alone four. <laughs> uh, and so there was tension and jealousy and issues between the four wives. You can imagine. Uh, on top of that, uh, the, the, the brothers had their own tensions. And when Moses wrote this story, he told us that his brothers 
came to hate him. They hated him. Uh, one morning, Joseph showed up for breakfast, and he said to his brothers, you're not going to believe this. It's the most remarkable thing. I had a dream last night. And his brothers start going, oh, brother, shut up. We don't care about your stupid dreams. No, he said, really, you got to listen. He said, I dreamed that we were out in the field and we were reaping uh, grain. And we were tying the grain into bundles. And we all had a bundle and, and, and we put them in a pile. But all of a sudden, my bundle stood up. And uh, when my bundle stood up, all of your bundles stood up. And they circled around my bundle, and all of your bundles bowed down to my bundle. Well, mayhem broke out. They're throwing toast, and, and uh, uh, it, it was uh, uh, mayhem. Jacob had to threaten to send some people to their room to calm things down. And... Uh, they despised him for telling that dream. Several months later, he had another dream. And he shows up and he says, I had another dream. Well, now they're swearing at him and they're telling him to shut up and we don't care, you're an idiot. And he's going, no, no, you want to hear this. He said, I dreamed that I was a very bright star and that the sun and the moon and 11 stars they started rotating around me, and they all bowed down to me. Well, the, the mayhem broke out again. It was just yelling, uh, uh, insults, and ah. Uh. And even Jacob, his father, said, you know, dude, you need to do an ego check. I, 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 I think this is it's getting away with you a little bit. But Moses also wrote that Jacob began to think about Joseph's dreams. And Jacob began to feel like God was actually speaking to Joseph because Jacob was a man who had heard from the Lord himself. There was tension. The family was dysfunctional. And the brothers, uh, the uh, 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 ten of the brothers had uh, the uh, cattle and the sheep and the donkeys out grazing. The Middle East is not like Ohio. There is a pasture uh, within ten minutes of anywhere you live. In the Middle East, it's more arid, and, it's, and uh, 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 there is not nearly as much pasture land. So they were out grazing their flocks in a place called Shechem. And Jacob hadn't heard from his sons for a while, so he said to Joseph, I want you to go check on your brothers. So Jacob went to Shechem, and uh, when he got there, uh, they weren't there. And he asked uh, a man he met, have you seen my brothers? And the man said, uh, yeah, and I heard him say that they were going to go to take the uh, animals to uh, Dotham. Dotham was about 10 miles northwest of Shechem. And so Joseph started to go to uh, Dotham. And his brothers saw him coming before he knew where they were. And one of the brothers, from a very angry heart, said, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him. And Joseph walked up, not knowing what his brothers were thinking, and they grabbed him. And they took his fancy coat, and they threw him in a pit. It 
turns out they didn't have the will to kill him. But Judah said, would be a waste anyway. Let's sell him. Dotham was on a trade route that went from, uh, from Syria to Egypt. And caravans went right by there all of the time. And Judah says, the next caravan that comes through here, let's sell him. So a Midianite Midianite, uh, uh, caravan came by, and they cut a deal, and they sold their brother for 20 pieces of silver. And the Midianites tied him up and started walking him toward Egypt. I'm absolutely certain that as Joseph walked to Egypt, he thought in his head, it's not supposed to be this way. This is not right. It shouldn't be like this. And they walked him into Egypt. And they took him and sold him to one of the slave dealers. And they stood Joseph up in the slave market to sell him. I've been to uh, the sl- what used to be slave markets in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. It's a flea market now. But it still has a haunting feeling. And as he stood there in the slave market, and people inspected him like he was a donkey or a camel. In his humiliation, I'm sure he thought, it's not supposed to be this way. It shouldn't be this way. The captain of Pharaoh's guard, a man named Potiphar, bought Joseph at the slave market and took him home. And Joseph started out as just a common slave, didn't even know how to speak the Egyptian language. But Joseph was a unique man. And everything he did, he did well. He didn't didn't do half-hearted work. And he began to catch the eye of Potiphar. And Potiphar said, everything this kid does, he does well, and he makes better. And he promoted him. And he did well, and he promoted him. And after some time, Joseph was managing Potiphar's entire house. Now it's starting to feel, he's starting to feel, this is good. Things are getting on track. This is, this is the way it should be. But Potiphar's wife was a woman who was not virtuous. And one day, he, she saw uh, Joseph. And uh, he was a handsome, athletic man, kind of like Chet. Uh, uh, and she said, uh, I want to have an affair with you. Uh, now, I have no idea how we did it, but the 19-year-old kid who was being seduced said, I can't do that. Uh, your husband trusts me, and how could I sin against him by doing such an evil thing. But she wasn't a woman who was used to hearing no. So time after time, she flirted with him. She she did everything she could to entice him. Until one day, it turned out that nobody was in the house. Everybody was working outside. And Joseph had to go into the house for something, and she grabbed him. And she was holding him. And she was saying, come on, we'll never, it'll be okay. Uh, 
uh, you'll like this, this will be great. And uh, Joseph, because of the quality of his character, twisted himself around, left his uh, robe in her hand and ran out of the house. Well, now Potiphar's wife is insulted. Nobody had ever treated her that way. It wounded her pride. And she started yelling, help, help, somebody come in here. And people ran into the house. And she held up Joseph's robe and she said, my husband brought that Hebrew in here. And he's promoted him and given him jobs you should have had. And now he came into the house today and tried to take advantage of me. Can you imagine the tension in the house as it got closer and closer to the time that Potiphar came home? Potiphar finally comes home. His wife turns on the crocodile tears. She's crying. She said, that Hebrew you brought in here, he came in and tried to take advantage of me today, and he took his robe off, and look, I have it right now. And Moses wrote that Potiphar was angry. And I've often contemplated, was he angry because he believed his wife or because he didn't believe her? You see, uh, Joseph was a slave, and slaves had no rights. Potiphar could have pulled out his sword and killed him right on the spot. And it would, nothing would have happened. But he didn't. Potiphar could have made, uh, uh, put Joseph on a hard labor gain, but he didn't. Potiphar sent Joseph to the federal jail, Pharaoh's jail. Kind of like now, if you got to go to jail, you want to go to a federal uh, uh, I have to believe that the first night in jail, when Joseph laid down, he had to think to God, it's not supposed to be this way. I did the right thing. I said no. Uh, I showed respect to Potiphar. And now I'm here. I shouldn't be in Egypt at all, but I'm here. I shouldn't be in this prison at all, but I'm here. This is not what you caused me to hope. You see, God wanted Joseph in Egypt. It was his providential plan. It just surprises us how he got him to Egypt. I also believe God wanted Joseph in that jail because in that jail, he was going to meet the cupbearer and the baker of Pharaoh. Joseph was diligent in jail and they made him the head trustee. And one day Pharaoh got mad at his cupbearer and the baker, and he put them both in jail. Well, the warden of the prison wanted to make sure they were taken good care of because if Pharaoh changed his mind, he didn't want them all beat up and, and uh, looking bad. So he said to Joseph, I want you to take care of these guys while they're in prison. So J Joseph's job became to babysit those two every day. One morning, when he met them for breakfast, they looked kind of discouraged. They looked sad. And Joseph said, hey, what's wrong, guys? And the cupbearer said, uh, I had a dream last night, and it bothers me. Joseph said, what did you dream? Interpretations are from the Lord. 
the cupbearer said, well, I was dreaming and I had Pharaoh's cup in my hand. And uh, I stood by a vine and I squeezed three clusters of grapes into Pharaoh's cup. And then I handed it to the Pharaoh. And Joseph said, uh, uh, the three clusters of grapes are three days. And in three days, Pharaoh is going to forgive you and restore you to your job. And you will place the cup in his hand one more time. You'll get your job back. Well, I mean, he's jumping around, high-fiving people. And the baker uh, says, uh, yeah, oh, good, that sounds great. I had a dream. And in my dream, I had uh, three baskets of bread and uh, pastries. And I put these pastries, these three baskets on my head, and I was walking, and, and a, a whole flock of birds came diving down and was eating the bread out of the baskets. He said it was, it was unbelievable. And Joseph said, ah, uh, you're not going to be happy with this. Uh, the three baskets are three days. And in three days, Pharaoh is going to execute you and hang your body on a wall, and the birds will eat your flesh. Ah. Uh, rather be the cupbearer than the baker. <laughs> and they, they waited patiently for three days, and at the end of the three days, the baker was executed, and the cupbearer was restored to his job. Before the cupbearer left jail, though, Joseph said to him, when you go before Pharaoh, remember me. I was kidnapped. I don't belong here. Uh, I was falsely accused by, by a, a, a woman who doesn't have good character, and, and I don't belong here. When you go see Pharaoh, would you please tell him I'm here and ask him to look into my case? And the cupbearer said, yeah, I'd be glad to do that for you. No problem. But a couple of sentences later in the Bible, it says, the cupbearer forgot Joseph. And day after day, he continued to sit in Pharaoh's jail. He had to believe in his heart. It's not supposed to be this way. This is not what I believed God was going to do with my life. In fact, from the time his brothers sold him until the time he was taken out of prison was 13 years. 13 years of his life, he was a slave of Potiphar or in Pharaoh's jail. God wanted Joseph in Egypt, and he providentially sent him there, just not in a way that Joseph expected. God wanted Joseph in that jail to meet the cupbearer, and he placed him there in a way very different than what he would have expected. God wanted Joseph to do something that would change the history of the nation of Israel. And he providentially guided him, just not in ways that we would expect. Providence is God, the great creator of all things, upholds, directs, and governs all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence. I can say it easier than that. Providence is God working out a brilliant plan to accomplish his eternal purpose. If we look at our church's history, we can see the providence of God. 
You see, providence is a lot easier to see looking back than it is looking forward. Uh, 41 years ago, I was 28 years old. And uh, 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 started serving this church. Uh, uh, and God blessed us, and our church started to grow, and, 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 and we, uh, we outgrew our space. And I got a picture here of the first time we filled the place up. That's what it looked like. This is, uh, this is the first time we filled the place up. Uh, uh, you can see how small it was. It's, it was much smaller than this room. Uh, it was easier to fill up. Uh, but we filled it up, and then we started going to multiple services. And, and, uh, and uh, we were still growing, and, and we had a parking problem like you did. And uh, 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 we started, uh, there was a school next to us that was sold, uh, the city of Parma sold it, and uh, uh, the guy who bought it was going to sell it, and, and we wanted to buy it. Uh, we went over there and laid hands on the building and prayed. I mean, we're kind of Pentecostal. Uh, and we, we thought, this is perfect. We'll, be, we'll tear down the old part of the building. Uh, uh, we'll keep the new part and use it for uh, our, our children's uh, uh, program. Uh, we'll build a new auditorium. Uh, we'll have all the parking we need. It was perfect for us. But the Antichrist who owned it sold it to another church. <laughs> Not only did we lose the building, we lost the parking. And we were parking about half the cars that we parked on Sunday in that lot. And I said to God, this is not the way it's supposed to work. Uh, I didn't tell the other service, but I'll tell you. We rented a Lutheran church across the street. And uh, uh, we were having some uh, programs in there. But a, a lady in our church decided to roller skate down the middle aisle of the Lutheran church. And uh, Lutherans don't like roller skates, and they kicked us out. <laughs> Uh, uh, and so we said, God, we got to have space. We're, uh, we're, we're. And so we, uh, we hired an architect. He drew a beautiful building for us. We saved up 40% of uh, 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 what we needed to build it, and we needed to borrow the other. And just when we wanted to borrow money to build, the savings and loan crisis hit. Some of you don't remember the savings and loan crisis. There are a bunch of savings and loan in, in America that weren't solid and, and they uh, had to be bought out and, and the government was auditing all the banks. You couldn't borrow a cup of cold water from the bank when that, that happened. And so we were stopped again. And we couldn't figure out what was God doing. We, 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 couldn't, we couldn't ascertain what exactly, how God was working. Um, this congregation knows, uh, uh, remember how well the North Ridgeville building worked? Anybody? Was that building perfect for us? Uh, enough parking, good space, had a good feel about it. That place was perfect for us. But we're not there. And sometimes we feel like saying to God, what's up with that? Uh, we had hoped that we could rent Chestnut Ridge long enough to uh, uh, get to our, our, our new property, but that didn't work. And... and, and, and uh, I, I was praying as diligently I could that uh, th that would that that would all come together, but in the providence of God, it didn't. What I'm telling you is, the providence of God doesn't always look like what we think it should, but it doesn't mean that God is not at work. Ah. Uh, so a building came up for sale. A, bill, a church went out of uh, business in, uh, in, in Strongsville. And uh, a friend of mine told me about it. And I made about 100 phone calls. And I found the, the loan officer who had, the, who had control over the building. 
And I said, I want to buy your building. He goes, I want you to know we haven't had a, made a penny on this in 10 years, and I'm selling it as is. Don't bother sending me in what an inspector says because we're not doing anything. If you buy it, you buy it as is. And I'm saying, think to myself, calm down, dude. I, I, don't, I, I didn't cheat you out of anything. And, um, and I said, we're willing to buy it as is. And I said, uh, we need 10 months uh, to sell our building and have the cashing. I'm not giving you 10 days. Uh, if you've got the cash, you can buy it. If you don't, we don't have anything to talk about. And uh, uh, I'm talking to him with one side of my mouth, and I'm talking to God with the other side of my mouth, saying, give me a hand here. Uh, and I said to him, we'll pay the interest until we pay the building off. Whatever the interest is on the loan, we'll pay the interest until we pay the building off. And he goes, ooh, cash flow, I think we can do that. Uh, so we paid interest on the building until we sold our building and we paid it off. Uh, and then we moved from the north, uh, the northeast side of Parma to the middle of Strongsville. It's a long move and a lot of people decided they couldn't drive that far. So we lost some people. Uh, we changed the church's name and became a non-denominational church, and we lost some people. Uh, we, we, did, we re-examined what the New Testament really says about women in ministry. And we believed that God meant it in Acts when, uh, uh, when Peter said, in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon your sons and daughters, and they will prophesy. And we said, if a woman has the spiritual gift, she can do anything in the church that she has the spiritual gift to do because that's what we believe the New Testament teaches. Well, we lost some people on that. And when the smoke cleared, we had lost a lot of people. In fact, that big new auditorium that we dreamed of filling up, we were like a BB in a beer mug in that room. Uh, and... Uh, I'm laying on the floor of the, uh, 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 the new uh, church auditorium, and I'm saying to God, where are you? We want to grow a church. We, we want to be influential for Christ. We, we want to we uh, accomplish things that everybody has to say. God is awesome. And uh, uh, the church unified around our mission statement, and we've grown ever since. Uh, so in, in, uh, in 82, uh, 25 people voted uh, for me to be the pastor of the church. I, I want you to know, last, uh, at our Christmas services this year, 3,800 people worshipped at Christ Church. Uh, some in person, some online. Uh, in, in 41 years, the providence of God has guided us, and we've grown from 25 people to uh, 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 3,800 people at the last Christmas celebration. Uh, it never looked like what we thought it should look like, but the providence of God was at work. Uh, uh, we miraculously found uh, uh, the land that we have, uh, the 32 acres that we have. And uh, I took some leaders from the church, uh, and, the, and the real estate guy showed it to us. And then when we got done looking at it, we stood at the front of the property, and this real estate guy said to me and, and my leadership team when I was there, you'll never get this property. I wanted to smite the Philistine in the name of the Lord. I wanted to strike down the Moabite. Uh, uh, we got it, and he's out of business. Uh, you don't tell the people of God who are guided by the providence of God what will and won't happen. Um, uh, in 2006, uh, we cut the ribbon and uh, entered uh, to our... Uh, we uh, entered our new campus. Uh, uh, that's when I still had hair. Um, 
Um, uh, it was a miracle. Uh, we had this sense that God had done something awesome among us. We knew what a miracle it was. Uh, uh, raising millions of dollars, uh, overcoming architecture problems. Uh, uh, but day by day, in ways that we couldn't see in the moment, the providence of God was guiding us forward. Uh, in 1996, I did a vision cast to our leaders, and I said in 10 years, we're going to average 1,000 people every Sunday. In 2007, we broke the 1,000 barrier, and that year we averaged 1,000 people on, on, on Sundays. Um, uh, uh, this year, we're going to break the 2,000 barrier, and we're going to average on our three campuses and our online campus, we're going to average more than 2,000 people every single Sunday because the God of providence is at work in ways that we can't see and we don't imagine. Uh, everybody remembers COVID. So COVID hits and can church do church or can't they? And, and we said, uh, uh, we're doing church. And so we had outdoor church. And uh, uh, our main campus has this uh, scissors lift. And we drove that thing outside and, and they lifted me up in the air and uh, uh, we had a deal where you could turn your radio to a certain channel and, and you could hear the, the, the sermon on that certain channel and, and uh, uh, they honked amens. Uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was really pretty fun. Uh, at least I knew some people weren't sleeping. Uh, but because of COVID, we did a deep research into having our service online. And we bought the equipment we needed to do that. Now, all three of our services are online. And listen, listen, we average on any given Sunday between 700 and 1,000 people who worship with us online. We have people from five countries who watch every single uh, week. Uh, COVID was used by God to push us to this uh, uh, under to get what we needed and learn how to do online services. And now we're serving a thousand people online because providence guides us in ways that we can't predict. Uh, uh, ten years ago, we had a regional church plant that our church was large enough that we had to be influential in the whole region and not just as a local church. And the first exciting thing we did on our regional church plan was we bought this building. Uh, ten years ago, uh, we sent Chet to Egypt. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, he has thrived in Egypt is all I want to say. Uh, uh, this, this campus is a paradigm of us being a, a ascending church. Uh, we bought a campus in Old Brooklyn, and you should know that the campus we bought in Old Brooklyn was the church that bought the school building next to us. <laughs> they sold their building to a preschool. That preschool went out of business. We bought the building, totally remodeled it, and uh, pro they'll probably have 125, 130 people there today. Uh, God blessed us, and we are a regional church. Okay, uh, uh, this congregation, some of you who are sitting here today, there's going to come a time very soon when you're going to have to get up out of this comfortable congregation, and you're going to have to go be starter families at a new congregation. Do you understand that? Uh, we, every congregation we start, we start with good families who are able to serve well. And someday, some of you are going to have to hear God say to you, I want you to be a core family for a new uh, a campus that we're going to start. Uh, we are an international ministry. Uh, uh, we it, we uh, adopted an orphanage in uh, uh, Uganda. 
they just had their annual inspection. I, I just read the, the document. And uh, the, the uh, police that inspected them said they're feeding the children above uh, uh, what uh, is required. Uh, 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 your offering buys all that food. So we're feeding those kids better than what is required. They're getting a better education than what is required. Uh, they got written up for one thing. Uh, the building they're in is, uh, also has people who live there. They don't have enough bathrooms there. Uh, and uh, our church is going to probably end up building them a new building for their orphanage. Uh, uh, changing kids' lives. We sent them all Bibles. These kids take these Bibles and go into the neighborhood and read the Bible to other people because it's fascinating. For They don't have TVs and video games, and it's, it's entertaining to people to have the Bible read to them. Uh, our international ministry. Uh, God has providentially worked in our church with the Century Church Plan. Please listen to this. Uh, Forty years ago, we said, if we do this right, we can influence the church 100 years from now. If we, if we disciple people right, if we help young leaders grow into their full potential, we can be a century church. Uh, our elders have a plan right now that... Uh, our second generation leaders could take over tomorrow. Everybody's ready. Everybody is developed. The elders have a plan. Uh, and uh, if I would get the heck out of the way, uh, uh, they could take over. Uh, uh, but more than that, we don't just have second generation leaders. We already have third generation leaders. Uh, our, one of our co-pastors at... Uh, um, Old Brooklyn is a third-generation leader. He's in his early 20s. He's in his mid-20s. Uh, he is a third-generation leader. Our fourth-generation leaders are in junior high and high school right now. Uh, last week, uh, our church took eight kids between 18 and 22 to a conference in Atlanta where 60,000 kids, 18 to 22, met together and worshiped and, 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 and learned about God. Those eight kids came home with a sense of the call of God on their lives. Some of them are changing their major in college because they want to serve God and they want to be part of what this church is doing in the future. God is not just one generationally providentially leading our church. God is multi-generational leading our church. The next generation is ready. God has prepared them. The third generation is being developed. The fourth generation are just now saying to God, I want to be part of it. In the providence of God, he works multi-generationally to accomplish his eternal purpose. Joseph's friend, the cupbearer, forgot him. But Pharaoh had a dream, and he was very troubled. And the cupbearer said to Pharaoh, what's wrong? You seem troubled. And Pharaoh said, I dreamed a haunting dream, and I can't escape it. And the cupbearer said, my sin haunts me today. When I was in jail, I met a sharp young man. And he interpreted my dream that you would restore me. And I told him I would remember him and tell you about him, and I haven't done it. And the cupbearer said, I'm sure the young man can interpret your dream. So the Pharaoh called for uh, uh, a Joseph. They brought him out of the jail. They showered him. They shaved him. They put a nice robe on him, and he stood before Pharaoh. And he said, Pharaoh, you've had a dream that there are going to be seven years of great plenty, and there's going to be seven years of terrible, terrible famine. God has told you what to do. 
in the seven years of, of great plenty, you need to store everything you can store because you will consume it all during the seven years of famine. And just as the Lord had said, there were seven years of great plenty, and Pharaoh made Joseph the premier of Egypt. And during those seven years, uh, 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 when there's plenty of grain and fruit, Joseph bought it at good prices because there was so much of it. And they put it in storehouses. And, and, and when the seven years of plenty was up, seven years of bad famine hit. And it wasn't just bad famine in Egypt. It was bad famine in the Canaan land. And Joseph's brothers were out of food. And Jacob said, I've heard there's food in Egypt. Take your donkeys and go to Egypt and buy food. And when they got to Egypt, guess who was selling the food? The brother they hated... Because God had providentially placed Joseph where he was so that he could rescue his covenant people from the famine. And Joseph recognized them, but this time they didn't recognize him. He looked like an Egyptian. And Moses tells us that when they wanted to buy grain from him, the brothers bowed themselves down before Joseph. God wanted Joseph exactly where he was to save his family from the famine. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your family to come and live in Egypt. We'll take care of them. And Jacob's entire family moved to Egypt. And Joseph, the man guided by divine providence, changed the history of his family. Uh, our church is a church in which divine providence has God has glorified himself by being a God of divine providence uh, for 41 years God has providentially blessed us as we uh, as we uh, demonstrate the excellence of Jesus Christ church if we're going to show God is great then we have to serve him in excellent ways don't do anything half-hearted for God he deserves better and he will providentially bless what is excellent when he won't providentially bless when we offer him second-rate service. For 41 years, God has blessed us as we've tried to say again and again, Jesus Christ is more excellent than what you imagine. God has providentially blessed us because for 41 years we've said we live the joy of ministry. Every Christian has to serve God in some way. If you are a Christian and you're not serving God in some way, you are separating yourself from the providence of God. He created you. He gifted you. He gave you life experiences. He has prepared you to do something meaningful in his, what he's doing in this generation. And some of you need to say yes to him. You need to let him have something of the goodness that he's invested in you. And you need to serve him in people in some way. We've always believed in the adventure of faith. Primarily that means uh, exactly what Tina said. We do hard things. God asks us to do hard things. And by faith we do hard things. You're doing a hard thing in trying to build a new campus. Ah. Uh, uh, our main campus is uh, where you uh, 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 was uh, uh, 20 some years ago where you are right now. Uh, uh, we miraculously found a piece of land that I told you about. Uh, we, uh, 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 we were building uh, phase one was a $5 million project and we had to raise uh, $2,500,000 and, and uh, uh, it seemed so hard, but God was at work, and he whispered to people's hearts just like you, and, and they gave what they couldn't believe they could give. If I could, I could bring a line of people up here today, and they could tell you about that experience in their life, and you know what they would tell you? I am so glad I did this with God. 
it's become one of the most meaningful things I've ever done. In 2018, we, we, uh, uh, we built phase two. That was a $2.5 million project. And uh, uh, we raised all the money except 500000 for that. Okay, because God is a God of providence. And if you will say yes to him, and if you'll let him guide you, he's going to do things that are exceedingly and abundantly above what you can ask or think. God is going to work in this church so that in, in times to come, Chet will be 70 standing in some other uh, 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 campus saying God has acted providentially in our church. And uh, we're not breaking the, the, uh, the uh, uh, 2,000 barrier. We're breaking the 6,000 barrier. Uh, we're not three campuses. We're 10 campuses. I believe that the same God who's done these wonderful things in 41 years, he's going to go right on doing them in places just like this. Providence doesn't look or feel right in the moment. Herman Bavink, a theologian I've been studying about the providence of God, says, we simply cannot solve the riddles presented to us by the providence of God in this life. Here's what he's saying. When we look forward, we have to trust. We can't say to God, you have to do it this way or you can't do it that way. We have to, God is going to do God. And we have to trust him and believe in his providence. Providence is hard to see looking forward, but it's crystal clear looking back. See, all of this felt differently than we're doing it, than it feels to you as I tell you about it. It just seems clear and obvious. But in the moment, it all seemed like, God, it's not supposed to be this way. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to trust without hesitation the wisdom and the power of divine providence. I'm asking you to let God lead you in whatever way he chooses. I'm asking you to be faithful to him and watch how his divine hand unfolds things in ways you can't imagine and makes this campus an incredible place where people's lives are changed and God is glorified. Our dear Heavenly Father, I pray that in a, as, in a way that only you can, you would whisper to hearts right now. I pray that there are people this morning who are hearing your whisper and something in their heart is saying to you, yes. Yes, I do trust God's providence. Yes, I want to be part of whatever God is doing in my generation. Yes, I want to be core to what God is doing to get uh, us to the new campus. I, I want to serve God in ways beyond what I've ever dreamed of serving. I want to watch God's mighty hand move. I'm praying right now that uh, God would whisper to your heart in the kind of way that you would say to him, here am I, Lord, send me. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.